0: Welcome to the Or Halev podcast with Rabbi James Jacobson Mazels. So we're about to enter the month of Adar. Right? When Adar enters, uh, joy increases. But um, my colleague and friend here—not but—it's part of that increasing joy. Um, Daniel Roth, who heads the um, Peace and Conflict Center, has really done I think, an amazing job of introducing another, another thought, and issue, and opportunity into Adar, which is there's another day in Adar, which is the ninth of Adar. And the ninth of Adar was the day in which, basically, the relationship between Beit Hillel and Beit Shammai broke down. Mm-hmm. And instead of people having conflict which was productive and constructive and leading to greater Torah, something went wrong. And they had conflict which became destructive and which actually led to a great plague and there's all kinds of different interpretations of what that means. But basically, conflict went the wrong way. Conflict became destructive. Conflict became hurtful. And so what I want to start talking about today and next time are two meetings, I think, before the Night of Adar is how we make conflict productive instead of destructive, right? How do we use our mindfulness as a way of creating growth instead of enmity? How do we work with our anger to heal instead of destroying? Right? And we all have conflicts in our life. I do. <laughs> I'm sure you do. I get to meet a human being has gone through their life without conflicts. Um, with those closest, those far away, in all different ways. And I think one way to start is to think about the verse from Vaikra, which says, Don't hate your kinsmen, your fellow in your heart. Rebuke your kinsmen. And how does that, those two verses conclude? via kamocha. That is that there's a commandment here to rebuke, to engage, to have conflict in a certain way, but that it has to come from love. It says, the verse says right before we have to don't take vengeance, don't bear a grudge, right? It's not about getting back at anybody, but there's a way in which we could have that conflict in a way that could heal. So what I want to do is I want to take us through step by step how we practice with anger and conflict. We see anger, we see conflict. How do we actually practice with it? So that it is productive, it's constructive, it's healing. And it doesn't really matter, you can use this in multiple ways. You can use this when you're in the midst of an argument, if you have the presence of mind to pause for a second and remind yourself of the steps. You can use it before. You're about to go into a conflict, you know you want to raise something. How can I work with and be of attention to the anger, right? You can use it afterwards. Oops, it wasn't such a constructive conflict. But now maybe I can reflect on it and relate to it in a different way so that it can be something which actually heals. So what do we do? You're in a conflict. You're feeling it. Anger's arisen. And anger arising for you may mean all kinds of things. It may mean you want to punch the person, right? It may mean you want to run away from the person. It may mean you want to make some snarky comment to the person, right? (laughs) Like, whatever anger manifests for you, we all have our different ways of dealing with anger. So the first thing we have to do, and this is actually a really important piece of the practice, is that we attempt to restrain our instinctive and automatic habits of response. Right. The first step: can we restrain our automatic habits of response? And it's actually one of the things we learn formally in practice. As you all may have noticed, as you practice, the mind tends to want to do other things than to pay attention to this moment. Right. And the the training of bringing the mind back is not just so the mind can be with the breath, but actually teaches us this ability to restrain, to pull the mind back to where we want it to be, rather than to let it just run wherever it wants to go to. It's actually a crucial skill, it's just a skill. It's like playing the piano, right? It's a skill you can develop, which is to not be controlled by your mind. And most of us have one of three responses to anger. And maybe you have another one, and if so... Raise your hand and add it after I add these three. (laughs) One is acting out, right? Um, We yell, we criticize, we blame, we're passive-aggressive, we hit somebody, right? (laughs) Whatever your favorite is, but in some way we act out and express the anger. Now, it doesn't mean anger can't be expressed in a way which is not acting out. I'm just saying our normal response is we act out. It's not mindful, it's not present, it's not just telling someone what's happening, we act out of the anger. A second classic response we many of us have is avoidance, right? We eat chocolate, we watch TV, we get on Facebook, we you choose your poison again, right? Whatever it is that you do to run away. However, you run away, we run away. Anger, it hurts, it's unpleasant, it's maybe unacceptable, it's not appropriate, right? Whatever that is, like whatever whatever our judgment is around it, so we run away. We're not gonna feel the anger. And the third, which is a kind of um, more intense avoidance is we repress, right? We stuff it in. We don't even want to see it. We tighten it up inside. Right? For some of us, it's, it's so unacceptable. I remember as a, um, you know, younger man, um, having this feeling like, well, if I really let my anger out, I would destroy the world, right? <laughs> I would destroy the world, right? It's like crazy, but actually that's what it felt like. It felt like, well... This is really dangerous. And if I really got angry, I would destroy the world. Right? Which is also kind of crazy. It's like how much power did I think I have, right? <laughs> like, okay, I really like I would destroy the world, if I really got angry. So and, and I only discovered that of course through working with anger. Because before that, it was just like, well, that's not allowed. That's just not allowed. Like that's not appropriate. That's not possible. And my mind just wasn't willing to see the presence of the anger at all. Anybody have a fourth strategy to use that their anger? It isn't acting out, or avoidance, or repression. Acting out, avoidance... Or repression. Suppression? That's part of repression. What about, like, about uh, depression? engaging it? Engaging? What do you mean? Like, opening to it, talking to it, listening to it. Yeah, yeah, good. That's the non-instinctive healthy response. Yeah, we're going <laughs> to get to that. <laughs> yes, yes, definitely. i am talking about where our, our, na- our natural. Not natural, but, like, how do you instinctively respond? Not when you're in your wisest place. <laughs> yes? Well, there's repression, but, I mean, it also depression in the sense that yes an extreme form of that. absolutely yes so depression anxiety right mm. can often be extreme forms it's just a form of repression of the anger for me for sure my depression and my anxiety part of that at least was anger is definitely not going to arise so we're just gonna cover that over <laughs> we're gonna cover that over with anxiety like the bezener says he says you know we have some emotion we find unacceptable so we throw garbage on it <laughs> Zebel he says we throw Zeville on it until there's this big mound of garbage, and you can't hear it at all. You can't hear it. It's buried into the mound of garbage. And that, for me, was what anxiety was. Right? It's this, this big mound of garbage. i are just going to put it on there, dump it on, dump it on. And then I can't hear what's going on underneath. And he says, it says he says, says, and then it doesn't disturb the person at all. Right? He <laughs> so it's still there. Right? But it's like, smothered over. Don't hear it. Don't pay attention to it. Never mind. Never happened. Right? Stinks. What? Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. It stinks. So. Yeah? You, in mm. yeah, you tend to get nasal fatigue and ignore that, right? <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Right? Because the reality is, I mean it's a great he doesn't mention that, but it's a great point. Which is the reality is, of course, is that we end up noticing those strategies because all those strategies hurt. Right? Whether it's avoidance or oppression or acting out, they all hurt. Ourselves and others. And so over time, especially if we're going to pay a little bit of attention, it's hard to just completely ignore those strategies, right? You start to notice, oh, maybe this is the most effective means. And so the first step is actually stopping and saying, I see my instinctive response. Maybe I'm already in the middle of my instinctive response. It's not even like I see it, but I'm there, I'm in it. And I'm actually going to stop for a second and say, okay, okay, I'm stepping back. I don't have to respond this way. I may not even know yet how to respond next, but I don't have to respond this way. And then the second step after we've restrained ourselves is to directly engage with the anger itself. And that means two fundamental things. The first thing is it means stopping or really dropping the story around the anger. Right? We've got some story going in our mind about what happened that was wrong or unjust or hurt us, whatever it was. The story may be true. It's not about the story being true or false at the moment, right? But we've got some story in our mind. The slight at work, the political conflict, the household disagreement, right? Whatever it is. And as long as that story is going, it just keeps generating, 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 generating the anger, right? The story is the generator, is the fuel for the anger. And so if you want to work with the anger in a way that is wise... We need to first let the story fall a little bit to the side. Now, that can be pretty tough to do sometimes. Because when we're caught in the story, the story feels like it's protecting us. It's like, well, he did do that, and he was wrong, and he is bad, right? And he may have done it, and he may have been wrong, and it may have been a bad thing to do, right? But the story, and part of the key to dropping the story, is to notice that the story is causing you pain, right? Can you notice for a second? Notice actually the story hurts incredibly painful I really notice it in my body and in my heart that the story really really hurts me, and it's still hard to let go of it and so there's a is a dual action we do we drop the story and we turn to the body okay and when I say turn to the body what I mean is we bring our awareness to the actual feeling of anger in the body the burning in the chest the racing of the heart the trembling however you feel it, all of our ways of feeling anger we bring our attention Actually, to direct experience of the anchor in the body. And this not only has its own use, which we'll talk about it in a second, but it helps us drop the story. And it helps us drop the story because, in many ways, the story is a way to escape the uncomfortable feelings in the body. Right? The story is just another form of this other forms of acting out avoidance and repression. As long as we're caught in the story, We escape the actual discomfort of the anger and even more importantly we escape the discomfort of what is underneath the anger which we'll get to later but the fear the sadness the pain right so the anger itself is a way of running away the avoidance strategies our way of running away And when we come to the body which is basically a deep commitment to say I'm willing to be right now with the pain and discomfort of the anger then the generator of the stories falls away a little bit Right. So the way the story is being generated actually by the feeling of the fear and the anger and if we're with it then it doesn't have to get lost I just noticed something fascinating as I was mm. working with an issue with one of these instructions and I noticed the feeling in the body and then I actually forgot the story for a minute and then, and then I noticed my mind trying to find the story again exactly but we I mean, forgot it and that's like like letting it go so you don't need to find it again Huh? Exactly. That's really common, right? If you, if you practice, you'll notice that that happens all the time, actually. Your mind will drop it, and then the mind will be like, oh. Or, 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 or it happened with the anger of the story, but it happened with anything. Like, you're having a fantasy. The mind drops it, your are and the mind was like, well, what was that fantasy? Yeah. <laughs> right? It doesn't even know what it is. It's not even stuck in it right now. But it's interested, it's interested, and it's interested because it's soothing, right? Because the is a way of running away. And so it's like, oh, let me find the story again let me find the thumb to suck again let me find the ice cream let me find like whatever it is that'll make this a little bit more soothing a little bit easier to be with right yeah great so we drop the story and we turn towards the body and when we do that we actually stop reinforcing the anger it's one of the crucial steps because just in that we already stop reinforcing the anger right we stop feeding the anger right? even if you haven't done anything else yet because it's like the story and the avoidance of the body which is what's feeding the anger. So we drop the store we go to the body, and already the anger starts to lose a little bit of its fuel. And then we start to actually get to know a little bit what this thing anger is, right? What is this thing anger that's present here in my body, in my chest, in my tummy, in my neck, in wherever you're feeling it, right? What is this thing? And then we start to bring two crucial textures. You guys, you learn with me, know these are central to the way I think about this practice. Which is the textures of welcoming, and the textures of softening, right? So we bring our awareness to our anger, and then with each inhalation, we actually invite the anger in. We tell the anger, "Coming in, sweetie, you can be here." Right? We were talking to class really today. The Beshtner has this great image of, of being a host. So you're the host in your home. Your home, the door is open anger is welcome to come in take a seat be there don't have to get trampled by it don't have to shut the door in its face you're the host you're welcoming you're present the invitation piece is crucial because we can bring our awareness to the body and still be resisting it at the same time right Like our awareness is there but actually we're like oh yeah I'm seeing you I'm seeing you over there Don't come and see me over here, right? Go over there and see me. I don't want to see you. It's a little too challenging, a little too scary to have the anger be fully present. And so when we consciously and with intention invite it in, it starts to challenge that whole structure of resistance, that whole structure of pushing away. And when we do that, we'll often notice one of two things. One is we'll invite in the anger and that'll be okay. It's like, oh, I'll notice. I can invite it in, and it's challenging. It's scary, but I can be with it. Or two very common. I'll say I'm going to invite in the anger, and a part of me says, no way, right? <laughs> There's no way we're inviting in that anger. Forget about that's a terrible idea, right? We're not inviting in the anger, and that's really useful. And then you just say, oh, I no way. I'm going to invite you in. Right, it's like it doesn't matter. That's fine. It's like, oh, no way. You're like, no way. I'm inviting it. Okay, come on in. No way. That totally makes sense. Of course, you don't invite in the anger. The anger sucks, right? Why would you want to invite in the anger? Of course. Doesn't matter where the the intervention happens, because really, what we're working with is the basic texture of aversion, the basic texture of pushing away, right? So you start working with the anger piece, and if that's not possible for whatever reason. You just work with the basic texture up here, which is the place of, oh, I'm resisting the anger. And what you'll find is if you invite in that, it's like, it's like the whole thing unravels. It's sort of this like chain reaction, which happens once the welcoming it happens. So you welcome it in with as much presence and compassion and kindness as you can. And I recommend, you've heard me do it. Talk to it, you know, talk to it. Come on in, sweetie. I love you. I care about you. I care about your suffering. You know you're welcome to be here you're welcome to stay as long as you like you're welcome to leave right you might want to picture it as a small child yourself as a small child that you're holding and just caring and caressing right anything you can do to bring that overwhelming hopefully compassion and love to that pained crying child within you anything you can do anything that helps imagery holding your body in a certain way putting my hand on my heart cradling my arms Anything that's going to help me relate with compassion and love to that which feels so scary. And then on the exhalation, we soften. When I say soften, I mean first of all that we soften physically around the tension in the body, right? There's tension in the body. We're not getting rid of the tension. We're just softening about it. We soften the heart, the resistance of the heart. We soften the resistance of the mind. We basically are trying to soften all of our resistance. And this is pretty, this is crucial, say this, we are softening not to get rid of it. We are softening to get intimate with it. We are softening to get to know it, to really make friends with it, right? And this is especially tricky for those of you who've done this and you've noticed that it's like, oh, I open, I soften, it goes away, right? Then you start to be like, I'm going to open and soften. So you go away. (laughs) Right? <laughs> now all of a sudden, oops, it doesn't work anymore because right? <laughs> actually it's just a version right? you're not really opening and softening you're like, I'll make a deal right? <laughs> I'll do this opening and softening thing as long as you get out of here right? Mm-hmm. so you really have to try to set that intention is I'm just interested in getting to know you I just want to get to know you it's like, I'm just interested in who you are there's anger, there's fear Okay, I want to get to know you, I want to know who you are I'm open to you, I'm interested in you I want to discover about you, right? And it's hard because, you know, it's like really uncomfortable. And it's scary and it hurts and it's shameful often for many of us, right? But it's incredibly powerful because all the other stuff we do the repression, the acting out, the avoidance are actually all ways to avoid the actual discomfort of the anger. And to feel some sense of safety and power and control, right? They're all trying to do that, and it's important to notice that even the acting out—the acting out—is actually a way to avoid the discomfort of the anger. Because when I'm yelling at you, right, I'm not actually feeling the discomfort of the anger. What I'm feeling is actually somewhat powerful and in control. Because like I'm angry and I'm yelling at you, right? So they're all ways of running away, and we, you know, intentionally short circuit that. And do the exact opposite and it's helpful to let our mind know that because actually when we let our mind know that our mind starts to kind of learn the lesson a little bit and choose those ways a little bit less so it comes up and you say to the mind oh you want me to run away every time I see that you want me to run away I'm gonna go right to the sensation (laughs) every time every time I see that I'm going right to the sensation every time I do that I'm going right to the sensation and the mind starts to get the message oh this this isn't working Right? This is not an effective avoidance strategy anymore because he's got this program now, which is every time this happens and I start to run away, oh, that's an extra reason to go right back to the sensation. And so at some level, and it's really important to see this, you know, I see this over and over again, and it's, it's sort of something I'm, I'm, I'm deepening more and more myself. These are all attempts to defend ourselves. And they're all attempts to help ourselves. Right? All the ways you run away we're only out to help ourselves we're never out to get ourselves right never out to get ourselves your mind is always trying to help you it is bad at it, right (laughs) it is not good at it but it is trying to help you it is doing the best that it knows how from its life experience with the tools it has to help you that's what it's doing right and that's of course the evolutionary meaning of anger right which is it's a defense right but one of the problems and this is something we're integrating more and more and I think it's true, it seems the truth in the stuff I've read, it's hard to know entirely, is that anger is a response to a threat to our survival. right? And in that way it makes sense. Like, if you're going to fight, the anger helps. right? But the problem is that our brain takes every threat, right? an insult, a hurt, not feeling seen, not getting the job you want, whatever. All those threats, as threats to our survival. And what I'm seeing is that Actually, this kind of makes sense, right? Because evolutionarily, you're living in, let's say, a hunter-gatherer society. Being insulted or excluded is probably life-threatening, right? It's like, there's only 30 of you. Everybody's taking care of each other. If you are cut off from the group, right? When we talk about things like excommunication or karam, right, it has a totally different power in earlier societies, right? Because if you're cut off, that's it, right? You're actually probably going to die. You can't survive on your own, and and probably in many ways, our brain is still reacting to that because evolutionarily it hasn't been that long, right? So we still think we're in hunter-gatherer societies of 30 people, and if we're being excluded in some way or pushed away, that is a real threat to our survival, right? It's a threat to our sense of self. At least it feels to me like that's the way my brain responds sometimes. If something happens all of a sudden my brain's going crazy, right? Because it feels fundamentally threatened. And so with this technique, what we do is we give up the attempt to avoid the discomfort, and we give up the attempt to seek control, to be powerful. And instead, we try to be intimate with our actual experience. We courageously and compassionately welcome the anger in. And when we do that, we're no longer trapped in the fear, in the resistance, and in the avoidance. And then we start to realize we're no longer trapped by the anger. The anger has some space and possibility around it. Right? We're no longer caught in the need to fight or the need to flee. There's some creativity now there. There's some extra possibilities of how to respond. It's interesting. You know, the Pizetzner has this beautiful teaching on Kitetse and on, on Al-Amalek. And he says, it's a complicated teaching, I'm just going to talk about He says on, about Amalek, um, why does it say that we have to erase the name of Amalek? Why does it say Amalek? He says, well... There's Amalek, the guy. There was a guy Amalek, and then his seed is the nation of Amalek, the zera. Says, so what is it really talking about? It's talking about hazera Amalek zara, the seeds which Amalek planted. That's what we have to wipe out. That's what we have to do. There's these seeds of hatred, of violence, of anger, of conflict that get planted in that place of Amalek, the place where we are cruel where we are lacking compassion, when we mess up, we all do it, where the world does it, where all these things happen, right? And our task is to actually start to uproot those seeds and water the other seeds instead, right? And this practice is uprooted. It's like, um, the anger's there. Instead of getting lost to in it, instead of planting new seeds of anger, I'm going to start to respond to it wisely and create some space around it. And then, when we've created some space around it, a little bit of equanimity and stability around the anger, we can then inquire what is underneath the anger. And when I say inquire, I want to be clear, I don't mean analyze, right? That's also a perfectly good thing to do. An analysis can be great. But when we're talking about the practice here, we're talking about directly sensorily inquiring what's underneath. Words can help sometimes, but just words like, what's underneath? you might just ask yourself that that's it and then you don't create the answer you just wait you're sort of open to whatever may arise it's like oh what's underneath what's underneath and we start to feel our way into what's hovering underneath the anger because something is always hovering underneath the anger right anger is a secondary emotion it's never a primary emotion and we start to become aware of the things underneath often fear so I think where anger is sort of most clear and direct fear right and that's it's like you feel threatened you respond with anger it Makes sense right So fear, threat, is often underneath, but there can be many other things underneath, right? Hurt, confusion, vulnerability, pain, and as we open to that, and this is the real the gift of anger in a certain way, which is that anger directs us right to those places where we're still trapped, where we're still holding, where we still have work to do. It's like, oh, anger is arising. Oh, that's interesting. That's a place where I'm still not very clear, right? That's a place where I'm still defending myself. Totally fine. It just lets us know. We start to see where we're tight and where we're hurt and where we're scared. And we start to see the false thoughts and stories that may be generating some of that pain and fear, right? The stories about ourselves, about who we are or who we're not, what we deserve or what we don't deserve, how people feel about us or not, right? What we want, right? Often what we want is really crucial. Often when you touch fear or anxiety, a great question to ask is, well, what do I want? It's like the opposite, and it's the same thing. So, fear, there's fear and anxiety, and the other half of that is, there's something I want to happen, which I'm scared isn't going to happen, or which isn't happening. And often if I can touch the desire itself, right? Not the recognition that's going to happen, but just if I'm really in touch with the desire, it's like, Oh, I am really wanting, 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 wanting this. Then the fear falls away. It's actually fascinating. It's like when I'm really in touch with the desire itself, the fear falls away. I think because there's something about being really in touch with the desire, which makes you realize that that's present. And it's okay if it doesn't happen when I'm really in touch with the desire. I don't get lost in the story of it has to be a certain way. Because It's actually touching the texture of this is what it feels like to want. This is what it feels like to want. And when we do that, we can see all sorts of things. Sometimes we'll just see what's underneath, and we'll release it, and we'll open to it, and we'll develop a new relationship with it. Sometimes we'll see things underneath, and it's too much for us. We have to turn away. We have to take a break. And that's fine too, right? We find a neutral place in the body. We find a positive memory. We recognize, okay, I saw that. This is good. This is the beginning. That's what I can do for now. I'm going to come back. Sometimes we'll see you know, like early childhood patterns. And experience the responses and we'll see that we'll be like oh I see that that's just the way I respected responded when I was five and I'm still carrying that pattern around with me you know So there can be a lot of really profound insight in those moments about the ways that we're protecting ourselves like, what are our strategies what are our patterns of protection And when we see that we can start to undo a little bit those strategies and patterns of protection I mentioned you before for instance, You know, one of the things that was incredibly important for me was to see that my anxiety was a strategy of protection, right? It's like, oh, I'm getting anxious because it's safer for me to feel the anxiety than to feel all the stuff underneath the anxiety. The fear, the anger, the pain, the disappointment, the confusion. It's like safer to feel the anxiety. Now that I know that, I can start to undo the pattern. Because now I can start to have an inquire, it's like, oh, anxiety? Oh, that's interesting. What's underneath? Right? What's calling for my attention? And when anxiety arises, I know something is calling for my attention. Right? And one place where I've successfully trained myself is anxiety arises, I turn towards the anxiety. It's like that's just what happens now. Anxiety arises, first response is turn towards the anxiety. That's what it arises, right? And and it shifts. Shifts the whole pattern, the whole experience of anxiety. We're gonna pause there. That was step four. There are a few more steps. Uh, I think there are six. No, there are seven. Seven steps. We're at four to seven. Next time, we'll continue the journey. And um, exactly, stay tuned. Stay tuned next week as we um, continue to explore those next steps, how we sort of fully uncover and release, and also use that to move into wise communication. Right. It's not just letting it go, but using that as a way to move into wise communication and wise productive conflict. Did you just say the four that you've mentioned so far? Yes. The first one is restraint. Restraining our automatic response. The second is dropping the story and turning towards the body. The third is welcoming and softening. That's sort of the way we do that process. And the fourth is sensing what's underneath. So once we welcome and soften, we start to explore and inquire into what's actually underneath the anger, what's happening underneath. Um, so as usual at this time, um, for a few minutes will open up to questions, thoughts, anything anyone wants to say. How important do you think it is that, mm, for one to identify the emotion as anger? Yeah. Meaning, I believe more often than not, my strategy is to go to uh, a repression mode mm-hmm. where I don't actually think it's anger. It's sadness, or it's something else that is masking the anger, mm-hmm. and so I'll use those techniques often with that emotion, yeah. but I don't call it anger. Right, I it something else. But then after you do that with that technique, do you find the anger underneath? Sometimes. sometimes. Sometimes, and sometimes not. Sometimes yeah. Not. It's a great question, and it's, it feels to me, you know, try to, to fill it out, it feels a little bit complicated. That is, on the one hand, I'd say. Not necessarily important, like more important to work with the direct experience itself. But the immediate question which rose in my mind is, and which I can see, is that doing that sometimes can just be a way of avoiding, right? It's like we're not willing to admit that we're, we're angry, and and that's the usefulness of labels. The usefulness of labels is that sometimes it helps us see very clearly this is what's happening. So not to go overboard, but just labeling generally like oh anger, or sorrow or confusion, or anxiety. Right? just that. Doesn't it doesn't to be anything more than that. But just seeing that forces us to admit. And especially, I would say, we all know a tendency, but if there's some emotion you notice that you're not experiencing very much, or very often, right? <laughs> That's probably because you're avoiding it. Because mm-hmm. we all have the full range of emotions in of us, right? So if there's something that doesn't happen, seems to come up in you, then um, it may be, not necessarily, but it could be the case, that some part of you doesn't want to see or be with that emotional state, right? And then you might want to watch out for that. It's like, oh, oh, is there anger right? So like, oh, is there anger there? That's interesting. Is there anger there? Is there anger there? So like, when I started working with anxiety, one of the first things I noticed was there was a lot of anger under there. And then I was actually interested in that. I was like, oh, anxiety. Oh, is there anger under there? I bet you there's anger under there, right? Sometimes there wasn't, then there was something else. But I already had, it was, it was helpful to have that kind of kibu, the direction So say, like, I have a sense of where I might be inquiring. Oh, when you're involved in a confrontation or conflict, yeah. it can require quick back and forth. Yeah, You won't have the time to go through all these steps and yeah. respond yeah. using them. Yeah. So how do you still respond from a place of, contro- of not losing yourself in the area? Mostly you don't. Why did you say that? So this is really important, which is mostly you don't, right? Which is why you should actually walk away. Right? When conflict's happening like that back and forth, mostly it doesn't work out that well. Right, So stop it. Be like, let's stop. Let's take a break. I'm going somewhere else. Or come back and re engage when I've had a chance to breathe and <laughs> notice the anger and open to it, etc. Right? Normally it doesn't work out that well. You can't always avoid every confrontation. Right? Um, not necessarily everyone, right? And then you do your best to be present as possible in the anger at the moment. You do your best but you can avoid a lot more than you think you can a lot more than you think you can, you know, and you can just ask, you can say, I need to take a break. I'm not, I don't not want to have this discussion. I want to have this discussion, but I want to have it in two hours, right? Whenever it is a chance to relax down and, and at least physiologically, um, it takes at least 20 minutes. If you take a break, I'd suggest taking at least 20 minutes. It takes 20 minutes just for the physiological response actually stop otherwise you're just caught in the anger stuff. But what if you're um you talk about primary and secondary emotions yeah. and anger is a secondary emotion yeah. Yeah. and yeah. sound like anxiety as well. Yeah. Exactly. Um so how do you kind of think about those and how do you know when you're kind of a primary Yeah yeah. Um so the, the important thing is just to know when you feel secondary emotions that there's something underneath yeah. them. And it's not always that there's some one base, there could be many things happening. Right? So fear is a primary emotion, right? Love is a primary emotion. Right? That's that's sort of primary pushing away or pulling towards or are sort of primary emotions. Um it's just sort of invitation to explore, okay. right? And especially something like anxiety. Because mm-hmm. anxiety is kind of always a masculine emotion, actually. It could be fear. Fear is not asking, fear is fear, right? But anxiety isn't fear, right? Anxiety is that like, mm, right? Fear is like fear. <laughs> that's scary. There's a big dog, right? Or whatever it is. There's a bear. There's a car coming. I better run out of the way, right? That's fear. Anxiety is not the same, right? Anxiety is always about pro- projection and getting lost and all that piece. So you're just interested, interested in what's underneath. And then when you do get to like what does it, you said desire, yeah. you know, yeah. that you really want something whatever like yeah. it is yeah. that's underneath. How do you, how do you think about that to not have a turn to like maybe a feeling of like, oh, you know, desire and a negative, like you can't attain that. So then that gives you like a worse feeling as you think about that. You open to it and are fully present with it and I don't have time to fully explain that now, but basically when you open and are fully present with it, it doesn't turn into that sense of disappointment because that sense of disappointment is all about clinging to the object of the desire and then not getting the object of the desire which happens all the time. But when we're fully with the desire, really with and open to the desire, then we don't cling around the desire. It's like, oh, wanting is there. That's okay. Of course we want stuff. It's totally fine to want stuff. The problem we get into is when the wanting turns into, and I have to have the stuff, and so I'm going to be like really upset when I don't get the stuff. It's like I want this. Of course I do. I might inquire whether that's healthy or not. That could be useful. You know, It might be healthy. And that's great. And I'm just fully with it. And in being fully with it, the attachment piece falls away. Um, thank you everybody, for your kind attention. Um, a few words about this class. <clears throat> um, this class is by donation. Um, there's a donation pool out there. Um, please, uh, please give generously. It really does support the practice It's what makes this possible, my preparation possible. So I really want to ask you, um, from my heart, give as much as you're able. Um, we meet every Wednesday night. Um, there is also an email sign-up sheet there. Um, so if you're new to the class and want to be on the email list, it just tells you when we're meeting and when we're not meeting. Uh, so every once in a while, we're canceled because for whatever reason. Um, so if you want to know that and not show up here and have nobody here, you should put your name on the email list. <clears throat> there are flyers out there for our upcoming retreat in March. We have a week-long retreat in March. It's really an amazing, precious opportunity to deepen, to practice. Um, you don't get anything like it. It's the only week-long retreat we do the whole year. Everything else we do is weekends. So I really want to strongly encourage you to take this opportunity and to really, really, um, you know, take it while it's there. Um, Also, if you have places that you might be able to hang up those flyers, uh, a shul you go to, a place of learning, anything, anywhere that might be helpful, please take one or two, hang them up. That would be fantastic. Um, And lastly, um, if we could help. Is somebody going to be in charge tonight of putting the room back in order? Yes? Who is that? Ellie, great. So if you could all help Ellie put the room back in order, that would be greatly appreciated. Um, I Nice to see everybody. I apologize. I can't stay and talk to any of you. I have the last buck which, head, which heads for the north. You, can right. you want me to ride the bus station? Awesome. I've got to ride to the bus station. Even better. <laughs> Lovely to see you all, and I'll see you next week. You've been listening to the Halev podcast with Rabbi James jacobson Mazels. For more information about Orhalev and how to stay up to date with our podcasts, visit the website at orhalev.org.